0: Welcome to the Life as a Coder podcast series, brought to you
1: by Ozark Institute, an initiative of OncoSpark, a technology-enabled revenue cycle management company, discussing your life as a medical coder, offering tips and advice for coding students and professionals. Join us every Wednesday.
0: Hello and welcome to the Life as a Coder podcast. My name is Jennifer McNamara and I am your host today. We have a very special treat for you today. We have a replay of a previous episode that was so popular. We are on vacation this week, so we're giving you a replay, giving you something that you've heard before, or maybe you're a new listener and you haven't heard this episode yet, but I want to really focus on when it comes to what we've been dealing with last couple years. We've been in this world of telehealth and trying to figure out how to maneuver all the changes and few episodes ago, I had my dear friend Christine Hall on the show talking about telehealth, what we've learned, and of course, where we've been, where we're going. So I want you to, of course, get a replay of this episode, and and I hope you enjoy it, and you learn a little bit something new maybe the second time you listen to it. So stay tuned for this replay of my friend Christine Hall. The team at OncoSpark offers a unique opportunity to grow your career in the business of medicine through their virtual specialty conference series. The reality of attending conferences in person is constantly changing. We give you the opportunity to learn virtually from industry leaders in top specialties, such as obstetrics and gynecology, pediatrics, cardiology, oncology, and orthopedics. We present timely industry topics to help you navigate regulatory guidelines, best practices and coding billing, and practice management from the experts in the field. Whether you are interested in becoming the go-to expert in your field, provide additional knowledge for your education program, or you're ready to dive into other specialties, we have you covered. We hope to see you at our 2022 events. Well, as mentioned, I have my special guest today, Christine Hall. And I am so excited, Christine, to have you on the show. Welcome to Life as a Coder.
1: Thank you so much, Jennifer. It is such an honor to be here. I'm a huge fan.
0: Yeah, they're just like so crazy because I fangirl when I hear you, and it's it's one of those things in the industry. We just we all just kind of support each other, which is great. And how much fun did we have in Florida? I still still to this day I think how much fun we had. Um, you, me, and Stacy, and of course, and my husband was there having dinner. That was just such a fun fun night.
1: It really was. It was, and it was a wonderful place that we went to too. I felt like we were a little spoiled there too.
0: Absolutely. I'm a, as you know, I'm a b- into wine and I've told you this. And uh, so I had to, of course, do the whole thing. Like I always do when I go to a, a restaurant and they have like wine, I buy their bottle and I even buy, you know, a couple of wine glasses to take home with me. So <laughs> that's always fun. Um, but getting back to our topic today, I know that as mentioned earlier in the show, I mentioned that course, Miss Christine Hall is an expert in telehealth as well as other areas of healthcare. But we wanted to pick on telehealth today because I've been getting so many questions and uh, Christine, I'm sure you as well have been getting questions, um, you know, from the, those that you um, help, help in their practices and other coders that reach out to you and maybe even some of your students. I know both of us teach the AAPC curriculum. Yeah. So we always get questions, right? So, let's just start from the basics. So I want to kind of talk about this, the basics. Um, I've been in coding for a while. So have you, so before the PHE or the public health emergency occurred in 2020, we knew telehealth a little bit differently. So what would you describe the difference between telehealth before the PHE and
1: after? Well, we have to remember that the, the one who had the most regulations on telehealth was CMS. So Medicare, Medicaid, um, A lot of the private insurance companies had developed contracts with private telehealth companies. I remember the first time that I explained telehealth to my kids. Now my kids are all grown. So they range from 23 to 30 years old and we were having a chat and they all use telehealth, but they use an app on the phone. They pay $55. They get their allergy medication called into Walgreens. And so even for them, trying to understand the different uh, forms of telehealth and the payer restrictions for telehealth was just a little bit uh, something we had to talk about. Um, And like I said, the biggest one out there is CMS. And so before the public health emergency, CMS was a little bit restrictive on how we could do telehealth services. Um, and they're always pretty conservative when it comes to new technology and new things that are coming out. CMS is always the one that's mm, a little bit, a little bit more strict on it. So before the PHE, telehealth had to be provided in an originating site. So the person had to be uh, in a geographical area that was maybe. Um, a rural area, or considered it a non-metropolitan statistical area, just an area where they didn't have very much access to different specialties and things like that. So they had to be seen in a facility in that geographic location, and then they could be seen from a physician who was in another geographic location. And we're not going to get into the details of like life insurance crossing state lines. There's quite a few different things out there. There's a, the Interstate Pact that's out there for telehealth, but just generally speaking, let's say you're, you're within one state. So I think you're in Arkansas, sure. um, Jennifer. So if we were on one end of the, the state, maybe in a rural area, we could engage a, a provider that was in the city that could interact with them. And then only certain provider types. So physicians, um, nurse practitioners, physician assistants, things like that. And it had to be real time, audio, video, We had to use software that was HIPAA compliant, you know, that's always on the the forefront of our minds is how do we protect this information? And there was only a limited amount of services that could be provided via telehealth. So there were a lot of restrictions there before the PHE. Exactly. And then the it looks, it feels like the the dam broke open and the (laughs) PHE kind of waived a lot of these restrictions for us. And and honestly, I think that we've learned a lot since the PHE. Oh,
0: my goodness, you are correct. I just feel like, you know, for the last several years, I was stuck and I was working for the local hospital here in Arkansas. I was in the coding department, one of the lead coders. And I just considered myself a surgical coder at that time. And I had experience in billing and other areas. I even was a revenue cycle manager at one point for ophthalmology. But at mm-hmm. that point, when that happened, I was a surgical coder working in orthopedics, general surgery, um, GI. That was my world, and so like there was a lot of things in healthcare in reimbursement that I wasn't really up to speed on because that was my world every day.
1: Mm-hmm. And I feel
0: like a lot of coders out there they feel the same. You know, they're busy with their lives; like that's what they do every day. That's what they're focused on, mm-hmm. and not many of us get outside the box and and look at all of the the final rule and all the the reimbursement things with all these payers. We were we like, well, we have time. yeah, we don't have time, right? <laughs> I mean, for me, I was coding like when the, the PhD hit, I was coding, like I can't even count how many colonoscopies I was coding every day. And it was insane because of course, the local hospital, they decided that they needed to get all the employees in to get their annual colonoscopies. <laughs> so you can imagine how many employees over the age of 50 or 45 I was doing. So I was so busy. And then I'm like, then this hit, and I'm like, okay, I got to shift my gears now because I'm doing EMs, and I have to figure this out now. All the doctors are doing telehealth now; they're all documenting that they did audiovisual and the minutes and all that. And I'm just like, I can't keep up. So, of course, they kept us up to date with the little, you know, spreadsheets and the the managers and directors. That was our job to keep us uh, who were coding and billing up to date and so then but we it had was all, changing so
1: fast jennifer like oh yeah it was fluid it was lists, right? were, i was updating lists weekly it was yeah. changing so fast in 2020 even in the beginning of 21 we were it was yeah. coming out us hard and then you're
0: waiting for that next you know announcement are they going to extend again are they going to mm-hmm. extend again <laughs> Like, what is happening and then you hear the final rule for 2022 come out so many changes I'm like okay let's back up what did we do in 21? (laughs) What are we doing now? It was just so crazy. So one of the questions we always had to, and we just had to make sure in our world that we were getting the right place of service on that claim. Right.
1: So Mm -hmm.
0: we had place of service two, and we had 11. And then what do we have coming now? We have 10 (laughs) coming at us. And so I want to ask, you know, as an expert, someone who deals with this a lot, when you educate your practices, your physicians, What do you suggest that practices should do to be successful, to make sure that when they understand all these different places of service in the year 2022 to get their claims out correctly, how should we understand 2, 11, and 10 going forward?
1: Well, first, I think we don't give enough credit to that front office uh, staff that's verifying benefits. And so that's where it's really going to start, is asking that question when benefits are verified or identifying whether we're doing it uh, online, what is the preferred for that payer? Because every payer has something different going on with it. From a Medicare perspective, Medicare made it really easy after confusing us for a little bit in 2020, they made it really easy. And they said, just use the place of service that you would usually see the patient at. So if you normally see the patient in their assisted living, or if you normally see the patient excuse me, in the office or you, you know, wherever it is that you normally see the patient, that's gonna be the place of service. And so that's kind of where we're sitting at right now during the public health emergency is following that guidance. But like you said, we've got this new uh, guidance that came out about place of service, place of service 10. Now they gave us this guidance uh, last year in October, and then they said, just sit on it for a minute. Right. Um, it's going to become effective January one, but we don't actually want you to start using it until April. And in the meantime, just keep doing what you're doing. And we're going to have a chat with the max and the Macs are going to come out and tell us, you know, what's going to work best for their geographic location. So we're kind of at a standstill with that place of service 10 right now. Um, where it gets kind of questionable is, you know, things are supposed to go back to the way they were, for the most part, when the PHE is over. And right now we're looking at another couple weeks um, of the PHE before they have to either renew it or, you know, where it's over. Yeah. (laughs) So that's kind of, so we have a lot of dates that we need to kind of be on top of. Now, between you and me, Jennifer, I don't think that we're going to, the PHE is over yet. I think. Oh, absolutely not. I mean, um,
0: the way I'm hearing hospitals and pharmacies and the nursing shortage. I mean, like it's and making patients and making employees work around patients if they're positive for COVID. And there's all kinds of stuff that's happening in the industry. And we can't control it. We're not the powers that be to control those things. So we'd have to right. roll with it, right?
1: Right, right.
0: So wow. I will say something that I thought was interesting. I wanted to kind of just I have to like, I wanted to look at other than Medicare because. Uh, Mm -hmm. We, of course, work for a practice, a plastic surgery clinic, and we help them with all their billing and everything. And so we when we get updates, we let them know. And so a lot of them were getting notices from these payers, you know, saying that, reminding them that Place of Service 10 is coming up. So I think a lot of these commercial payers are also coming up with their, you know, recommendations. And Mm -hmm. one of the Blue Cross carriers in another state, I just happened to find it, and it said that beginning February 1st, 2022, they will accept the new place of service code, uh, place of service 10. So definitely my recommendation is, you know, get out there, look at your state, look at your main payers, look at United healthcare, look at well, Blue Cross is of course yeah. local to you. Um, look at your Medicaid's, look at all of these payers, you know, what is their rules on this? When will they start accepting this place of service? My question would be, and I don't, I mean, the answer to this is let's say for instance, you see a patient January 2nd of 2022 And they say beginning February 1st, you can submit these claims. My understanding is you can still see the patient, but do we hold those claims until that date we can submit them or do we just bill it normal and fix it later? Like, how do we go about this?
1: So it's going to be, it's going to be up to the individual payer. You're going to have to look things up just like you said. Um, So I think I'm looking at the same thing that you were looking at. This is Blue Cross and Blue Shield of Michigan. That yes. they're advising that we can start using it beginning February first. So um, it does say that you can hold those claims from January first and submit them on February first using Place to Service ten. But to be honest, I I don't see anything in this publication that gives us a a bonus for submitting them earlier. I mean, or <laughs> right, exactly them, right. Are we going to get paid more money if we hold them? I think. Um, you know, depending on the size of your practice, holding these these many claims for a 30-day period, you might not be able to, you know. You oh, absolutely, really that's my first that. thought. Yeah. I was, the first
0: <laughs> in mind. I was like, that's just insane for a small practice to think about. So for me, I'm like, yeah, I wouldn't think you'd have to hold up the way you're doing things. It's just basically, you can't even use this place of service until this date. So right. that would be, you know, what my thought was. Um, another thing too, that I wanted to talk about is um, the fact about place service eleven? So we understand the purpose of of the place service ten. So what what do you think is going to happen to eleven? I haven't really seen anything talked about, but it would seem to me if they're going to be in a telehealth situation, they're going to be at home. That's where they're being seen. What what would place of service eleven have to do with anything anymore if for telehealth purposes?
1: Well, right now under the public health emergency, if a patient were to be seen in one office and have telehealth services provided from somewhere else, then of course we would use Place of Service 11 because that's where the patient would physically be right, located. Gotcha. Unfortunately, CMS hasn't given us um, any interim information to, to kind of tell us what their intention is about Place of Service 11, especially since they said, you know, MACs are gonna have their own policies put in place and so we, we definitely need to be looking for that. And they don't anticipate the use of Place of Service 10 until that April date. So this is definitely a standby, keep a, a posty note on your monitor, um, yeah, think- keep a lookout for uh, these things that are coming up. But I don't think that Place of Service 11 will go away because we still do have those moments where there is a patient in the office that needs to be seen by a specialist who might be in another location gotcha. and they're gonna use telehealth at that moment. You know, Lots of times a provider will call another provider that they have a relationship with and say, hey, I've got the patient in the office right now, can you do a telehealth visit? And so 11, sure. I don't think it's gonna go away, but um, we're, we're definitely gonna get some more instruction on two, 10, 11 and, and how <laughs> CMS would like us to use that.
0: That makes perfect sense, and you know, I I had my my inkling that way. We actually have a practice where the patient comes into the office to be seen telehealth, and the provider is not physically there. And Mm -hmm. it's just an odd situation to me, but it does happen. And so that was my thought. I'm just thinking, like, how do we explain all these differences to those out there who maybe not have that situation, or maybe that comes up, and they just don't know how to handle it? So there's so many variables, right? So many situations that we could encounter absolutely yeah like you said put a sticky there just remind (laughs) yourself to keep up to date um and i always say to people too if you are not getting automatic emails those mln articles the medicare learning network if you're not getting those please do that because um those mln matters um, updates are really important um and it may not apply to you but you may get one that does so it's always my recommendation to get on those email lists and get those updates it's really important
1: when you get those emails, just take a pause to look at it. I know I get bombarded with emails every morning. There's got to be, you know, 40, 50 emails in the box waiting for me. Um, but I do take just a moment to look at what the the topic is. What are the highlights of it? Because we have a tendency sometimes when we get too much information to just kind of overlook. So You know, there's a lot of changes coming down the pike. Um, Just like you said, make sure that you're on those listservs, but make sure that you're also taking the time to stop and kind of peruse that list as it comes through. Absolutely.
0: Now, um, some of the things that people may not be aware of, too, um, if they don't read the final rule and they don't dig too deep, is the fact that there are different categories. So when they came up with these approved services for telehealth, they have these different categories. Now, I don't want to go into too much detail and bore everyone, but uh, we will put the, of course, information in our show notes, but kind of give us an of why do they have these different categories of services.
1: Sure. So um, category one were our original telehealth services. These are tried and true. Um, mm-hmm. These are services, the evaluation and management services, some of those psychotherapy services, that were you know tried and true again that we've been doing them for quite a few years and they were appropriate for category 1. Then they developed category 2 codes and those were codes that kind of look like category 1, they're very similar in nature and um you know there is some sort of a clinical benefit to doing these via telehealth so they added those. And then category 3 those are just basically temporary codes that have been added for throughout the public health emergency or Um, through the end of the year of that public health emergency. And some of these now with the final rule were extended through December 31st, 2023. They're just gathering more information to see if these services at all meet any of the category two or category one methodology. That's the nutshell version.
0: Exactly. Yeah. So I thank you for that. Now, um, what I looked up because, you know, we do occasionally um, get a behavioral health client Um, there were some authorizations for behavioral health um, Mm -hmm. to allow them telehealth services. So how is that different than in 2022 now versus what it was before?
1: So we're really going backwards and it, it all started with the Consolidated Appropriations Act where the drive was that we start making some accommodations for mental health and substance use disorders. So in the final rule, they advised us that, telehealth services for behavioral health uh, services and substance use disorder, those services are going to be covered as long as wherever the patient is, you know, at home, not wherever, but in their home setting, home setting could be a hotel room, home setting could be, you know, it's it's considered the place that you're lodging at the moment is your home. So they're saying that they're going to allow those Um, regardless of what happens with the public health emergency or any of those other types of things. They're going to allow behavioral health and substance use disorders to be seen via telehealth from a patient who's in their home. There are a few things that they said, you know, a patient has to have been established uh, with a, a provider. So it's not going to be for your new patient visits, your established patient visits. There had to have been at least one face to face visit in the last six months of that telehealth and that the patient is seen at least once every six months face to face. So they also expanded that to include services that are provided by rural health centers and the FQHCs, the Federal Qualified Healthcare Centers. So, and the the other thing was that they said if a patient chooses not to use audio video or they don't have the broadband available for audio video that these services, the behavioral health and the substance use disorder, they can be done audio only. Again,
0: they have to
1: have seen the doctor within the last six months face-to-face and continue to see them once every six months face-to-face. So that was a huge, huge benefit change.
0: Yes, I noticed that. And I was just thinking what a a huge thing for behavioral health practices. Of course, it's important for them to understand all the ins and outs of how the payers interpret this, but, but we definitely want to um, always have someone in your office. I recommend someone who is doing the research. Uh, if you're going to bring in an outside consultant, you know, you know, do that, just make sure you at least, you know, when everything changes in a new year, I think you at least should bring in somebody once a year. If you're not going to have someone in your office that does
1: this research,
0: you oh, need to I agree, them.
1: Jennifer. I think there's, you to know. there's <laughs> so, so many opportunities out there that practices, don't know about because they don't get an annual update or they don't have a consultant that comes in and analyzes their services and makes recommendations for new services or modified services that would benefit their patients.
0: Absolutely. And I mean, I'm not going to tell a billing company how to run their business, but uh, years ago, back in 2017, um, I had a friend who was um, the manager of a billing company and he knew I was a coder um, and I was starting to get into consulting. And he brought me in uh, because they didn't have coders at all in their billing company. And to me, I've always worked in a hospital. We had billers and coders, and we always worked together. Um, and then when I went, ventured out, I realized that there were a lot that didn't have that dynamic. So there was that missing piece, you know. So um, I thought it was a great thing. They were proactive, and they thought, let me bring in a coder. Let's look at our codes, make sure these denials aren't something we can avoid in the future. Um, and so that was a great thing. And I learned a lot about what they do. and then. They learned from me, and so it was—it was a great experience, and that's why I just love consulting. Because you know, not that I'm a know-it-all, of course, I know things, but but I want to give back, and I want to help practices see these areas that they can improve on. Because it's about bringing in the revenue you're owed, (laughs) and if you're missing opportunities, then that's money on the table, right? That's just and also from a compliance
1: perspective, having somebody come in and take a look at your practice once a year not just for those opportunities that you might be missing out on but also to identify any risks that might be there that if we just tweaked this or if we just added that then you know you would eliminate that possible risk for for any of your claims that are out there we've seen consultants coming in um like you said decrease denials decrease the need for appeals you know, having things flow more, more fluid through an office, because someone has come in to identify those opportunities for you that, you know, let's face it, practices are well oiled machines, they just run all day long. And it's good to have that tune up or that maintenance done once a year from an outside consultant with an outside pair of eyes, right?
0: Absolutely. And There is so much that we can talk about today on telehealth. I just have one more question. (laughs) And of course, like I mentioned, we have lots of resources for everyone, our listeners today. So check out our show notes. uh, If you're on Spotify or Apple, whatever uh, podcast application you use, um, you'll be able to find those uh, notes and downloads there. Uh, But I want to ask, you know, and I talked about this a little bit in my last uh, podcast on evaluation management, Um, because under telehealth, there are these waivers and allowances um, how can practices get organized and really just uh, get the resources that they need to understand these waivers and allowances?
1: Well, I, I think you hit it on the head with the last with the last statement, you know, having someone come in that, that specializes in understanding these waived services that are out there for these patients right now. So that's probably one of the best things that a practice could do, because we know that the waivers that were put in place, um, they're not new, they're, they're waivers that have been put in place years ago, but they were just enacted due to the public health emergency. And it waived certain requirements that are necessary in order to uh, get a service reimbursed. So like I was saying in the beginning where, you know, old school telehealth, 2019 telehealth <laughs> required that originating site, distant site, you know, if you look at the Medicare Claims Processing Manual, none of that changed. The only thing that has changed is that right now we have a waiver to the Social Security Act that is waiving those requirements in order for us to get reimbursed. But the, the rule is the same still. So it, it's it's good to know what those waived services are that are going to allow us to get reimbursed or what are the, the waived requirements. Um, and it's not just telehealth, there's so many other things out there right now that are available that just practices don't have the time to research, to understand, to to, mm-hmm. to implement in their practices. So yeah, lots of things right now that, that are waived as requirements for payment.
0: Absolutely. And so surprise, surprise, I'm going to give you information, everyone. So for all you listeners out there, we are going to give you some information from Medicare on these waivers and information so you can understand your different service lines, whether you're in office, um, you're a, a rural health clinic, an FQC, FQHC, whatever you are, <laughs> we're going to give you some some information. And I don't know what, for me personally, when I want to know anything, I go to my authoritative guidance. I go to Medicare, I go to AMA, mm-hmm. I go wherever I need to go. And I just love Medicare's booklets. <laughs> like
1: Oh my they gosh, they're Medicare free- manuals?
0: So easy. Like there's a book on evaluation and management on global services. There's on anything, uh, the frequently asked questions for telehealth, for COVID, like there's so many things out there. They don't leave you guessing. They have put together resources for you. It's what your job to go out there and get them.
1: I think I just read something that you posted on one of the social medias. And you were reminding folks that we, we do That's have awesome. these authoritative guidances, the Medicare manuals, going and looking at Medicare documents, their fact sheets and things like that, as opposed to, there's a lot of us out here that have a lot of good information, but be careful. Make sure that if you are reading um, anything out there, that you're looking for a reference to those authoritative guidances.
0: Absolutely. and. Speaking of COVID, I know I wanted to kind of just kind of uh, chat with you. We, again, got some revisions uh, with the COVID-19 ICD-10 guidelines. (laughs) And we know when um, in 2020, we're like, okay, we know there's a new code. It's not in our book. So they had to give us these extra guidelines we had to keep handy, right? Right. And then 2021, they were officially in our book. Yay. (laughs) And then, so we got our UO 7.1, right? And so... Mm -hmm. I just encourage coders, I mean, this is not a a lecture on ICD-10 coding, but I just want to give you some reminders for those of you who are still struggling, Christine and I want to encourage you to get out your books, and even we're both instructors, and we both teach our students this concept, that you're not perfect, you're not going to remember everything all the time, so that's why we have guidelines in the book in paper form, or electronic form if you have that, Um, you want to do a control F, you can search it real easy but go to those, have them on your computer, have your book in front of you. If you're coding for COVID-19 and you need to remember, okay, what do I do in this situation? Go to your guidelines. There is a situation, there is a code for any situation. So you just need to know the proper order, right?
1: (laughs) So Mm -hmm. absolutely. The, the sequencing is there. Everything is there. Um, And we have our own little subsection in 2022 ICD-10 guidelines there that kind of run through if this, then this, if this, then this, code this first, right? So if you haven't read your guidelines in a long time, now's a great time. It's, it's, uh, there's so many changes that we are seeing in these guidelines. I don't know about you, Jennifer, but I was Thrilled about some of the additions that we got yes. to the guidelines in 2022.
0: Oh, I was too. I mean, not, not just COVID, there were so many good I mean, ones. But I want to tell you too, like go to the you'll see, and it's and just so you know, if you're new to the coding that this is your first year in it, if you're going to the guidelines, um, in the bold letters, that will tell you what's new. So mm-hmm. anything not in the bold letters is something that was previously hasn't changed, but then they have these updates. So it tells you even where to go. So if they tell you, like, okay, if it's sepsis related, go here to this guideline. you're reading your guidelines. I'm going to, of course, um, upload a copy to our show notes just so you have it. If you don't have a copy electronically, you have one now. Um, So basically, it tells you the section of the guidelines. So section one, because we have what four sections of guidelines, right? Section one, and then it says chapter, this little letter C means chapter, right? Mm -hmm. Chapter specific. So it's going to be chapter one of ICD 10. Remember the top of your tabular in your book, they're chapter numbers, And so when you go to the top, so you're coding for that. It'll tell you what chapter that is. And so that's what it means. You're going to go to chapter one guidelines and then little, the little D tells you this is about sepsis related to a COVID infection.
1: And G and tell you G- what G- COVID infection ones, Jennifer. And um, the, the section G, so it's I, C, one, G, right? Yes, um, the, G. the, the G section there, what you're going to see is not everything is in bold because like you said, we had that interim guideline that came out in 2021 that missed publications. So it wasn't in the 2021 guidelines. It's coming into the 2022 guidelines for the first time, but because most of this information in G section isn't new, you won't see it all bold, but I, I assure you, everything in section G is a new set, subsection and it's amazing there's, there's, it really takes all the guesswork out of how to sequence any of these COVID codes.
0: Absolutely. And many were wondering, okay, why do we have so many cough codes now? Well, it's important um, <laughs> to a physician, especially they describe coughs very differently than we would. <laughs> so exactly. to them, it's important. It's an important identification of a specific type of cough. And especially with since cough as a big symptom, it makes sense to me that they would further identify these new codes. So Anytime you get a new guideline, they're going to, usually, if it's if it's a part of the guidelines, they will give you the new code in the guidelines. You're also mm-hmm. going to want to review the new codes um, that are listed um, when they are released so you know uh, what's new, especially if it affects your practice. Um, and then, of course, we had the new code, um, the U09.9 post-COVID-19 uh, condition. Yeah. So I'm going to read directly from... <laughs> Uh, this. So it says that if an individual with a history of COVID-19 does develop, let's say for, as it mentions, the multi-system inflammatory syndrome, which is a code, Mm -hmm. and they have, of course, you're going to assign the M3581 and the U09.9. So that's what the guideline tells you, but please, please, please go to your tabular and follow the order instructions if you get
1: lost. All right. I really love that new code that came out because- I had friends and and family and people I knew that were no longer COVID positive, but they still had the the COVID symptoms that were lingering. So loss of taste, oh, and I felt so bad because I'm a good eater and I can't imagine losing my taste for a long period of time. (laughs) I
0: I will try to smell something just for once I want to make sure that I haven't lost it. It's just crazy. Like, I'm so nervous that that's going to go. And I'm like, it's going to be that main sign for me that this is what, that I have COVID. <laughs>
1: right? I don't mind the coughing and I don't mind the not feeling good, but take away my taste. No, no, no. My smell and taste. I need them. So yes. I, I think that, that that's the, the, the reason behind it is how do we code those things that are lingering that are directly related to COVID because we're still dealing with it, you know, even that, that um, multi-inflammatory or, or like we were talking about the cough. Now, a chronic cough is a, could be a post-COVID condition, right? Yeah. So really yeah. interesting. So documentation,
0: interesting. right? Documentation. Oh, very yes. Um, and one thing they do highlight in the new guidelines in bold is that U09.9 should not be assigned for manifestations of an active current COVID-19 infection. Because remember, it's post-COVID so is right. post infection so they're not currently so active
1: imagine if you had covid and you oh. still cough and then you got the omicron and Definitely. you still were dealing like so but it does yeah. talk about it in the guidelines it gives you that scenario it does right after that it does that. exactly and we are dealing with that now we have a lot of people that are getting reinfected with covid uh, with this new variant that's out there. So this, we might be seeing this exact scenario happening.
0: Exactly. And then who knows in 2023, <laughs> we come across uh, October of this year, if we're going to see any new codes again, pop up mm-hmm. for things that we experience between now and then, <laughs> you know, I mean, they're constantly looking at, that's why our job is so important, guys. I mean, you think about what you do for a living. It's not just punching numbers into a computer and getting paid for claims. It's reporting data. It's identifying these things. How many people have this? Whether it's COVID or something else, it's reporting data. We are data reporters, and without us reporting data, they can't, of course, decide. Okay, this new technology that they're doing so much of—it's beneficial. So we're gonna we're gonna make a code for it. Or if you use unlisted codes often enough, that's important because that tells them that this is being done often. That they're gonna create a code for it and a Mm -hmm. fee for it. (laughs) And so it's it's so important. Um, and of course you and I both love risk adjustment. So I'm wow. always on the top of my mind is always, I know CPT codes are important to physician because that's their revenue for most of them. They work on, they, they work on RBUs, but for the fact that medical necessity is, it drives the bus and my webinar that I'm having this Wednesday or is it Wednesday or Thursday of this week of this month, um, it's going to be on ICD-10 medical necessity because I want to start the year off right and I think you probably agree that it's it drives the bus. I've always said that
1: absolutely uh, it drives the
0: bus. And yeah. it doesn't matter what you do. If you don't have the medical necessity to back it up and you don't code it appropriately, you don't know the guidelines well enough, you're going to get a denial. You're going to get a denial for something as simple as ignoring um an LCD policy. Or well, you know, I also
1: last year I worked with a, one of my my clients I worked with started having a lot of denials and they were getting denied because they weren't following the sequencing rules that were out there. And they were also submitting codes that aren't allowed to be primary codes. And so they were seeing denials that way. Once we sat down and I said, okay, look at the guidelines here. It tells you that some of these codes, just because we have a code for it doesn't mean that that can be a primary code or that we don't sequence things differently in order to get things paid. And um, we're seeing a lot of changes that are happening that that payers are saying no more unspecified, no more just throwing out that GEMS code. It's been over 10 years, folks. We don't need to be using GEMS. So, or not 10 years, six years. We don't need to be (laughs) using GEMS. Um, Another thing I wanted to remind you, Jennifer, is we have some ICD-10 guideline changes that are coming effective April 1st. Yes, ma'am yeah yeah i'm looking at that and i'm just i'm excited i i love when we have changes it just means that we're getting more guidance and yes and
0: we're getting better at, what, uh, at about everything and you know that's the thing too is like when you're new to coding and billing you don't know all these things and and how these things come about you're just like right where, where you learned in school your instructor taught you and then you had this whole other world that comes after and Tonight, I start my first official class for CPC for the AAPC uh, with my 2022 students. And um, I'm excited. I know you are, too, whenever you start your, your next class for the new year. I
1: have, yeah, I have a billing class that starts Wednesday night. And I, I love the billing class because that's where we get to talk about NCCI, LCDs, NCDs. Yeah. Like, oh, it's, it's, um, it's wonderful because ultimately, if we're doing our job right, and we're getting that reimbursement coming into the practice, as we should, you know, to get paid for what we've actually done, then we get to shine in the practice, we are the ones that are less denials, less appeals, and money's coming in, you know, the the biller is actually the rock star in the practice. And it's just important that they understand their tools, and how to use their tools. So um, yeah, I'm super excited.
0: Yeah, I'm sure you let you ask your students so to watch your coffee uh you know podcast and it's just
1: coding with Christine now, Jennifer. There's no coffee anymore. Yes,
0: that's right. Coding with Christine. I can't keep up these (laughs) days, girl. Oh my goodness. Uh, I I do
1: drink coffee while we're doing it, but it's not called coffee anymore. It's just I get it, I get it.
0: (laughs) Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah, well I I I I I love doing that too. Um I, I love just having a chat with my fellow coders and fellow billers and just talking about things that are happening what's hot today or just reminding them that things don't have to be as big and scary as you think it is you just have to know the right people you know listen to podcasts like your podcast where there's so much information you have to be the conductor of your knowledge train right and then exactly
0: and i really try i'm sure you do too to pick topics that are going to be information educational not just something they can read in a book you know Wow. Like I want to have conversations this year and that's why I chose to have people I respect like yourself and, and those that, um that I've come to learn from myself that I want people to hear these voices and that these are people that are just, there's people like us there, they, they, we all, we all learned at different places in our, in our life. Mm-hmm. Where we are now is a product of the people that helped us get to where we are. So we yeah. want to give back and that's what we do this for. We, we educate to help give back and, I still cringe every time I get on um, a, a group or, or on a social media, and they're just saying how they're giving up on coding because they can't find a job, and and it just breaks my heart because I yeah. know that happens every day. And my students, thankfully, have been so so successful in finding jobs. And I'm a huge advocate for my students and everyone, as you know. I'm always posting yeah, yeah. like, go here, go here, you can do this, and, <laughs> and I want people to know it's not as hard as as um some people you know, negatively mentioned, but, um, there's things like risk adjustment, there's billing, there's, yeah. um, there's so many ways you can get into healthcare. Don't always think of yourself as just a coder. Um, and it took me a long time to think of myself as more than just a coder.
1: Well, it's like saying you're just a mom. Really? Yeah. I mean, no, yeah. It's, coders are not just coders.
0: <laughs> no, and they, they shouldn't be. And like on my whole career, I've always, before I went out and did remote work. Um, when I went with the hospital, I was the biller and the coder always. Mm -hmm. And I, when I found out people did separately, I was like, how do you do that? How do you make sure that the right modifiers get on and that the coders are putting the right modifiers on? If they don't know billing, how are they going to put the right modifier on? Mm
1: -hmm. And
0: they don't know the payer guidelines. How are they going to do that? So there was just, I guess, this constant back and forth of messaging between billers and coders. And it just, it's crazy, but Um, but I know that's how it's, it's done in some places and, you know, they have quotas to meet, you know, some of them, so they can't wait for documentation. And there's all these little things Mm -hmm. that come about in these organizations that just like, there has to be a better way. Right. So like yourself and I, we do our best to get the information Mm -hmm. out to people, right. We tell them, you know, this is what will make you more effective. What we've learned in our years, you know, we're not telling you legally, you have to do this, but we're giving you the resources from authoritative guidance and we're telling you this has worked for us in the past this is how we've been successful maybe it'll work for you try it (laughs) you know
1: absolutely absolutely
0: well christine it has been a pleasure having you on today i know whenever we get together and chat it's just we can just talk all day and um so i just i just am so grateful that you came on today to talk about telehealth and um i of course look forward to hearing your next uh, uh presentation online so um, if you all want to reach Christine and, and learn more about her presentations and how you can learn from her, we will put her information in the show notes. And, um, uh, there anything you want to say to the audience before we close out today, Christine?
1: Um, no, I, I, I think we had a wonderful talk. I think we hit on some great things. Um, uh, your authoritative guidelines stay up to date with your guidelines, your ICD 10 guidelines specifically. There's so many opportunities out there for you. Um, things change constantly so reach out and ask questions I always tell my students don't suffer in silence there are people out there like Jennifer and myself and there's so many other wonderful talented um, experts in the industry that we will be happy to share the information but you have to reach out so reach out that's my that's my advice for for the for today is reach out Thank
0: you, Christine. And just so our listeners know where to find you, what, where, where can they find you um, online or any
1: other place? So, my company's name is Sterling Global Solutions, and Sterling is spelled with an I S T I R L I N G Global Solutions. You can email me at C Hall at Sterling I am on uh, LinkedIn personally, and my business is. We are the Business Professionally on LinkedIn I and mean, Facebook. <laughs> We're on Twitter and uh, YouTube. I have a wonderful YouTube channel. We have some short videos there just talking about different topics, and we will be adding those continuously. Those are our coding with Christine Hall. Thanks so much, Jennifer.
0: Thank you. And don't forget to check out Christine um, at one of our upcoming virtual conferences. We'll give you more Uh, information on that as it comes about. But thank you, Christine, for joining us today and have a wonderful day, everyone. Thank you for joining Life as a Coder. Thank you.
1: Thanks for joining the Life as a Coder podcast. Please feel free to rate or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. We appreciate that effort. It helps us share the show with other healthcare professionals just like you. Join us next Wednesday for another episode. We'll catch you then.